0: Welcome to the Variety Hour on AM 990, where local leaders talk Memphis.
1: Listen to you, move your mouth, I bet you come from way down south. don't tell me, let me guess, you're from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you
2: sound so good. Talk Memphis, high on the bluff.
0: Welcome to Talk Money on AM 990. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. And
3: good morning and welcome to Talk Money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. We've got a just jam-packed program for you today. If you've Just kind of joined us and not kind of aware what talk money is about. It's just simply talking about money. It's not, that's not rocket science. It's just bottom line. What does money mean to you? Well, my guest today, we're going to talk first of all with Chris Seaball. He is the president and chief investment officer at Vantage Capital Management. And he is going to kind of give us the overview of what we look at in oil and gas, the economy, China, the Fed, and interest rate rising. It sounds like complicated, but Chris does a great job of bringing it down so that we all understand it. Second half of the program, though, we're going to talk with Scott Jordan. He is going to help us understand some very specific thoughts about how to select a financial planner. And that is so important today because there's so many things going on, so much noise, and so you go, we're going to give you some very specifics. And so that's the second half of the program. But, Scott, welcome to the program, sir. Great to be here, Jim. You know, there's so much going on today. And, I, and uh, one of the thoughts, I, I read something recently, and uh, this was disturbing because, you know, right now, of course, the news is talking about the Affordable Care Act. And, and, and I know I'm just recently going through some issues where I'm trying to collect all my records and put them together, and I read something that, that kind of disturbed me, that in spite of the 29,000 physicians that graduated medical education this past May, they finished their medical, medical education, 29,000, the United States is ex- anticipating that its demand for physicians in 2025 will exceed its supply by at least $46,100, 100, 100 doctors. Wow. That is a big number and that is to, to as many they say there's a there's a line here that it go from 46,000 to as many as 90,000. Wow. And that's a big number. I mean, you know, we think about it. We got all this stuff going on with medical care and we're needing it. Well, you know, that tells me a lot about what's going on in the medical profession. The fact that we're graduating that many but there's a shortage. Well, here's why there is shortage. Here's the purpose this is from the um Medical Physician Lifestyle Report that just came out. Guys, you listen to this because this will, this will make you think real quick. Here's, this is a tough profession, obviously. It says 46% of the U.S. medical doctors are burned out. Now, let me give you the definition of burned out. Now, This is lack of enthusiasm for their, their work along with a low sense of personal accomplishment. 46%. What do you think, Art? I mean, that's a, that's a big deal. That's crazy. I mean, it is. And and the thought is, uh, you know, we're not graduating enough. And so now 46% are saying, I'm burned out.
0: A lot of doctors are not busy practicing medicine. They're too busy dealing with paperwork.
3: You got that right. Exactly. It says 25, excuse me, 52% of the emergency room doctors are saying the same thing. That's, that's That's a huge, you know, guys, I hate to say this, but that's a problem that we're facing. Maybe not quite yet. But according to that, we're headed in that direction, and that's a tough thing to think about, Scott. So, you know, when we come back, we're going to be talking with Chris Siebal, But those are questions and concerns. We're going to talk specifically about China, and I'm interested, Scott. I know yeah. you are. To know what's going on with China because everybody's got is it really going to affect the, the United States? Is it a is it a problem for us? What about oil and gas? I mean, I don't know. Did you did you buy gas recently? I, mean, I, we were, I did buy
2: gas. And recently. it was good? It has been very good. You
3: recently. said this morning as we were talking about the program, two dollars and nine cents a gallon in Mississippi. That, last that was week? down in Mississippi. Yeah, Mississippi. last week I know today I was driving down Germantown Parkway. I saw it from two fourteen up to two sixty-nine. But the average at the pump right now is two dollars and sixty two cents. That's the national average. Average right now. So I'm interested in what he's going to tell us about oil and gas commodities in general. Of course, the question is always, is the Fed going to raise rates? I love it. Chris Siebel, he'll be back with us when we come back. Stay tuned. You're listening to Talk Money on KWAM 990.
0: You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Podcasts of the Talk Money program are available for iOS mobile devices. Go to the iTunes Store and search for Shoemaker Financial. Talk Money. will return right after this.
4: Have you thought about pursuing a career in financial services but have no experience in the industry and need training? If you are goal oriented, highly motivated, and enjoy working with people, you have the skill set Shoemaker Financial is looking for. Shoemaker Financial is continuing to grow their team of financial advisors in the Mid-South, and they're ready with the training and tools you need to get started. With over 35 years of providing professional advice, quality products, and excellent service in the Mid-South, you too can now be a part of their growing firm. If you're interested in learning more about this opportunity, contact Haley Kemp at 901-757-5757 or email at hkemp at shoemakerfinancial.com.
0: Helping you make the most of your money. This is Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Financial advisors do not provide specific tax or legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax or legal situation. And now, once again, here's your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker.
3: And good morning. I'm Jim Shoemaker, along with, uh, well, we've got Scott Jordan in the studios. He's my guest host. But we have on the phone with us Chris Seaball, the president and chief investment officer of Advantis Capital, a frequent guest of ours, one that we always enjoy having on the program. So welcome to the program, Chris. Great. Uh,
1: Awesome to be here with you, Jim.
3: You know, one of the things, Chris, I was reading recently, and I know there's four topics that I kind of introduced a little bit earlier that we really want to cover with you today, and that's the economy. And then, what's going on with oil and gas, the commodities market? I mean, it's down so dramatic. And is that how big of an effect is that going to have us? A lot of people are talking about China, the rumblings about China, and is that going to affect the U.S.? And of course, uh, the Fed and the monetary policy. And are we going to raise interest rates in September? Those are the four big topics I want to cover. But I was recently thinking and reading, and, and this is kind of a thought. That I want to kind of lead with the number of Americans that that you know have been jobless at least 27 weeks has dropped, and that was kind of a unique thing. 66 percent in the last five years, from 6.5 million down to 2.1. From seven July the 31st of 2010, down 6.5 down to 2.1 million. But it still remains sixty nine percent above where it was eight years ago, which was one point two nine million up to two point one so its that's according to the Department of Labor. it doesn't appear even though it says it's much, much, much better, we still haven't reached those areas where we think that we're doing where we should be. Is that what you're getting? Is that what you're seeing?
1: Yeah, this is a slow, slow recovery and expansion, and you know even though we've seen it now perform pretty steady. Um, there's a lot of folks that, uh, unfortunately, are have been held out of the job market, or if they've been out of the job market for a long time, they have a hard time getting back in um, as progress moves on. Now, one of the things that we look at is the unemployment claims, and that's one kind of a near-term measure of how strong employment is when um, when companies aren't laying people off or people aren't quitting, and that's at a three-decade low. So uh, even though we haven't had a tremendous amount of job growth and there hasn't been robust wage increases, generally if people want a job, for the most part, there are jobs available, and um, there's just not this underlying economic engine that's so strong, it's lifting up all kinds of people. Um, So you know, there's some pluses and minuses. I think in the near term, as we see the employment situation, we'd still call it a plus and one of the factors we think that the Fed is going to be leaning on heavily should they come to the point in the second half of this year to raise rates.
3: Okay, well that makes that makes sense. And so what you're saying is there's been this this it's definitely improved, but there's – and I like the way you put it. It's We're just not pulling everybody up. And if you want a job, there's usually a place to go. But is there apathy there with the job search today? Is it just because I don't I don't get the job I want, and therefore I'm not going to go back to work?
1: You know, I think there is some of that because, um, you know, where, what we look at to help us understand that a bit more is the labor force participation and, and more – uh, particularly if you break it down by age groups, and it seems like the folks that are in the 50 plus, 50 to 65 ish range, um, their participation is down a lot more than we would have expected in what's normal in these cycles. And I think that's what you're talking about. It's not they're not getting the job that they had before, perhaps, or they're not getting the job that really gets them, takes them out of the other interests that they have just yet. Mm. Um, so I don't know if I'd call it quite apathy, but the strength of the types of jobs isn't enough that is really going to interest people that perhaps do have some options.
3: So let's let's put it in the perspective. Economy for the first half of the year, scale of 1 to 10, you would score it, 10 being great, 1 being not so hot, what would you score?
1: I'd score it a 3. I mean, we barely got above 0 in the first quarter. The second quarter was pretty good, but not Quite in line with what we'd call, you know, expected or trend because it came in at about 2.3. Um, so I'd call that a three. Now we think in the second half it's definitely going to be above that.
3: So you're looking for improvement. Uh, talk yeah, about I that. Mean, we're
1: seeing, we're seeing it. Now, although none none of the periods during this expansion have been like robust and really really strong. But you know we're now seeing beyond that employment and some of the employment factors that we've seen that are steady is what we call them. We're seeing a little bit of a rebound in the retail sector, so retail sales, and we're seeing a much improved business sentiment, and particularly the business sentiment's been on the, um, on the services side. Uh, we got a measure just last week that was one of the hottest measures in service sentiment by business um, that we've had this entire recovery. So we got some good signs that are coming up, and don't forget you know, in the U.S., the auto sales have been really steady and strong, which has a, historically been a pretty good factor for us in uh, determining what subsequent quarters might turn out to be for growth.
3: Yeah, you know, uh, Scott, and I, you and I were talking about just gold prices and gas prices. I mean, you know, the reality is I think the last couple of months, I mean, the, the summer has, has seen – where automobile sales has been very robust, and, and, Scott, we've talked about that. Yes. And that's a big deal from that standpoint. So I guess, Chris, what you're saying is there are some things that are better. So if we were going to score, and, boy, I love to put you on the point you know, point here. This is great. <laughs> uh, one, two, three for the second half, or are we going to get into six, well, seven, or eight?
1: First, so if I said the first half was a three, <laughs> I'd probably go to a five to six for
3: oh, the second wow. half. Wow. Oh, okay. So that's so some optimism. Says-
1: It's a, yeah, I I think, you know, where we're tracking right now, and I think there's a good reason to believe that we'll continue tracking at least for the next couple quarters, um, above that 2.5% growth rate, then I would call that a 5 or a 6. You know,
3: I think that's uh, there's so much noise going on right now, and a lot of people think about that. But again, if you just tuned in, our guest today is Chris Sebald. He is the President and Chief Investment Officer of Advantage Capital, always a welcome guest of ours because he does help us see this and go through this process. Here's the question that a lot of people are having. I mean, Chris, we've watched oil and gas. I mean, oil, let's just talk about just oil and the, the price of oil go from $90 a barrel down to I think it was 46 or 47 here recently. And, I mean, I wouldn't have thought that we would stay this low, and I would have thought we would have bounced back by the end of the year. But I'm beginning to now question whether or not is that even a thought process. Should we even think are we going to bounce back?
1: Well, I don't think we should base our investment strategy on that we will bounce back. There you go. Um, you know, in, in the commodity sector, in the energy space, and then in oil um, we've seen all of these commodities uh, come down quite a bit um, and there's a lack of demand globally and there's a big supply that's been built and it takes a while to re reset those two um, but this is not that unusual as it pertains to oil I mean back in the 90s we saw late 90s we saw oil come down um, by 40 or 50 percent. And then, uh, you know, during a recession, it's not unusual for it to fall that much as well. And in the 90s, this wasn't a recession. This was kind of a low in demand and a glut in oil that, you know, and it was related to Russia. Um, so this is not that unusual to have this, but um, this is kind of a bigger deal as a factor outside uh, the U.S. Um, you know, in some respect, it will be affecting in, within the U.S. some employment and clearly what's happened. But, you know, what we've seen, and it's been a surprise, is that the fracking in the U.S. has continued unabated by the, unabated by the drop in oil prices, meaning all these companies in the e exploration and production space have continued to find ways to make their well drilling more productive and continue to generate more oil out of the U.S. ground and stay very competitive. So I wouldn't bet um, that oil is going to go up um, a lot in the near term until this settles out.
3: Well, I was reading recently from, I think it was BP Statistical Review, came out with something that said that the North American oil production, that's U.S., Canada, and Mexico, represented about 20.5% of the global oil production, of the globe's oil production in 2014. Uh, but that's half of OPEC. Do you still see the threat with OPEC? I mean, is that a potential threat?
1: Well, you know, I think um, OPEC in general maybe takes Saudi Arabia because they're, I think, half of OPEC. Right. Pretty big number. Um, they, um, I think they thought they were going to pressure a lot of these U.S. frackers out of business when they decided to not cut production, and that was back in the fourth quarter, and pressure oil prices lower. But the U.S. has surprised them in their resilience. So I don't want to say that OPEC's not a factor because they can, you know, from what I know, they can take oil out of the ground at 10 bucks a barrel, and there's not, there you can't do that in the U.S., and you can't do that around the rest of the world. They're the cheapest source of oil. So they do have some, some staying power in the market, but just recently OPEC had to issue uh, borrow some money. Uh, I should say not OPEC, but Saudi Arabia had to borrow some right. money. So, you know, it's not without its stresses because of the way that they have already levered their economy into the expectations of higher oil prices. Um,
3: It's just something for us to think about then. It's something for us to consider. I know when we come back, we've got to take a break, but when we come back, I mean, I was thinking recently, uh, the Department of Labor put out something. Of course, this deals with interest rate rising. This deals with stability. This deals with oil and gas, really. But that in the preceding three years, that's from July 12th to June of 2015, that the Consumer Price Index – at least 2%, has reached at least 2% of the trailing 12 months three times. That's the trailing 12 months, three times the last 36 months. But they said their target rate, of course, is that 2%, and it's just not there. So with low oil prices today and a very low consumer price index, I guess what I want to do when we come back, are you seeing inflation? Is that a possibility uh, those are questions, I guess, and does that affect the rising interest rates that Mr. Uh, the Fed's going to do in uh, September? So I guess that's where I want to come back. When we come back, we're talking with Chris Sebaugh. He is the chief investment officer for Advantage Capital, president and chief investment officer, and a very good guest of ours. And, and I want to find out more about uh, the rising interest rates and what he – he's already telling us he's optimistic, Scott – for the second half of the year, so we're going to pick his brain some more when we come back. So stay tuned. This is KWAM 990, and you're listening to Talk Money
0: with Jim Shoemaker and Scott Jordan. All right. Helping you make the most of your money. This is Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results, research, investment advice, or a recommendation to purchase or sell a security. Talk Money will return after this.
4: Have you thought about pursuing a career in financial services but have no experience in the industry and need training? If you are goal-oriented, highly motivated, and enjoy working with people, you have the skill set Shoemaker Financial is looking for. Shoemaker Financial is continuing to grow their team of financial advisors in the Mid-South, and they're ready with the training and tools you need to get started. With over 35 years of providing professional advice, quality products, and excellent service in the Mid-South, you too can now be a part of their growing firm. If you're interested in learning more about this opportunity, Contact Haley Kemp at 901-757-5757 or email at hkemp at shoemakerfinancial.com.
0: Helping you make the most of your money. This is Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. And now, once again, here's your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker.
3: My guest is President and Chief Investment Officer, Chris Seaball. He is a CFA. He is with Adventus Capital Management, a frequent guest of ours. We're talking about kind of the mindset of the sprint to the finish, and he's bringing us up to date on what's happening uh, worldwide. We have discussed the economy. We've discussed oil and gas. And if you missed the program, you can go back and listen, of course. Just go to iTunes Store and Shoemaker Financial. You can listen to this program again. I'm interested because if inflation, Chris, is lower or right at 2% or lower. And it doesn't seem to getting in traction with inflation, which sometimes is a good thing Mm -hmm. and sometimes not so good. In this case, we probably would like a little bit, just it would kind of help be kind of healthy to have a little inflation. What are we looking at as for, because of that thought process, are we looking at Ms. Yellen? Is she going to raise the rates? Is that what we're looking at?
1: Yeah. You know, um, the Fed and Ms. Yellen has, I think, been shifting the conversation more to employment. And that's been the main driver uh, of their, I think, policy setup for a change in rates. Um, so I think that the Fed can change rates even if they don't get inflation going in the direction that they're wanting it to. And you, as you mentioned just in the previous segment, Jim, inflation hasn't been going up. As a matter of fact, it's only come – barely close to and hit their target a couple of times in the last um, two or three years, and it's only been briefly. And right now, inflation is actually running close to zero because of what's happened in the energy markets, Um, if you look at just the nominal CPI inflation. Um, And what's going on with oil more recently having fallen is taking some forward-looking measures of inflation, some that we look at, in the marketplace uh, where we can divine what investors expectations are about inflation. And those have fallen now another half a percent. Um, so I think that there's, it's going to be pretty tough for the fed to get inflation to support their case um, with what's gone on in energy and what we expect to continue to bleed into the elements and these factors of production in the coming weeks and quarters. And so that will make it tough for that to be um, a basis for the Fed to raise rates. But I think, they've, I think they've changed the tune enough that they're going to do it without getting some inflation support.
3: Do you think they have to do it just to maintain their reputation? I mean, it's like we've heard it. We've talked about it. It's, I mean, I can go back to 2013 when we were talking about raising in, in rates. And, and it's a point in time that they have to do something. Are we there? Is this what we're looking at? They have uh. to do something?
1: You know the way you framed it just made me chuckle a little bit, and, and you know these are smart people. There's no question about it. But when you said that they had to raise it just to maintain their reputation, uh, you know there's a good chunk of Fed policy making that is cheerleading. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just a part of the deal. You know, you got to – There's never been a Fed governor, a Fed that's just that's a pessimist. They got to they got to be optimistic. But if we look at their track record of saying when they're gonna do something, they've always been late. Um they've always been lower. It's always been less because they you know they have this optimistic look. So I, I mean I think they can I think they can change the narrative enough that's that they don't change or deteriorate their reputation. But I think they want to try. My impression is that's the thing. They want to try and see if this is going to be a big impact on the economy. And they've been working with us for a while to set us up for this. What, do you, wow.
3: what are your thoughts when you say that you mentioned that they are working to us? You know, it's amazing. Do you think the Bank of England, England do you think the, Euro, the ECB, the Bank of Japan, do you think they do the same thing? I mean, you mentioned that. I mean, are they all in the same grouping, uh, you know, where they, they always check to see what the other one's saying? Is that Do we get that sense that the world is now kind of like saying, what is, what is U.S. saying? What is Europe saying? What is Japan's? all that happening at the same time?
1: Oh, definitely. Uh, you know, they're, I think they're more in sync now, at least in terms of language and the types of tools that they're trying to use around the globe than they, than they ever have been. Um, but keep in mind that, you know, they're not going to do the exact same thing. And right now, case in point, where the Fed is tightening and everybody else in the world, maybe except for England, is going to be easing hmm. and, you know, going to be adding to their bond-buying programs, um, they're going in the opposite direction because their economies are in worse shape. Does, um,
3: does that affect our dollar? Does that Yeah. Affect, yeah? Oh,
1: yeah. I mean... There's, I mean, you could just point to a half a dozen things that affect the dollar, but I think the first thing is what I like to call the divergence in monetary policy across the globe. The Fed tightens. Uh, China eases. We saw that. Um, the European Central Bank is set to keep easing for a long time. Uh, Japan is going to have to go back into an easing mode. Their economy sputtered again. Um, so... You know, that's going to have an impact on the dollar as well as what's happened in the commodity markets. That is um, clearly a dollar-related item. Um, so I think there's there's lots of reasons uh, the dollar could go up, and the Fed is just one of them.
3: Does this mean, then, as you as you think forward and, you're, you know, with this idea of the next 60 to 90 days or the next six months to 18 months— if the Fed starts raising rates, will they do it in a slow, methodical, easy-to-manage you know manage type of thing? Or do you think they're going to start and just go crazy with it?
1: Personally, I think they'll do it slower and more methodical than anybody even thinks right now. It's kind of like we've always, for the last four years, been on this mantra. Whatever the Fed says, whatever the market expects, whatever the pricing is inferred there from, um, it's probably going to be lower and later. And less impactful um, than what people have think, what what investors in general have been thinking, and that's really how it's played out. Partly because it's in, you know, our view is in, is affected by our macro uh, perspective. But I think the same thing will happen for the Fed's trajectory in rates. And I wouldn't be surprised if they're one and done for a while, meaning they do one, let's say in December, and they won't do another one for three or more meetings. Um, because they're you know they 're going to be testing not just whether higher interest rates have a real impact on companies but whether they have a real impact on the sentiment of investors and the sentiment of companies
3: chris do you when you talk about sentiment of companies and the reality is the economy i know it 's a little better i know it's it 's you know we we talk about that being it's it 's this kind of climbing out of the muck and the mire and it 's been very slow. But we're not anywhere near a breakout. Is that going to affect the thought process on this? Because what would interest rates do to companies that are in this mindset of trying to move their way? What about projecting that for me for the next 18 months? Is that going to be a problem?
1: No, I don't think. I mean, not the interest rate by itself. Okay. Um, The only thing that could be a problem is, and we started to see this in markets already, um, you know, as the Fed raises rates, it has this effect on the dollar. That's one thing. And that's making it really hard for companies that export. And if you look at earnings releases that have been coming out, even just in this second quarter, um, there's still a number of companies that are citing a higher and stronger dollar. That's going to be a stress. Now, wait till the third quarter comes around, because the dollar has gotten stronger now in the second quarter, so that will more than likely impact those third quarter earnings even more dramatically. And that's going to make the strength of the economy, or I should say that's going to make this momentum harder and harder to maintain, even though I think it still may be maintained. It just speaks to the kind of slow and methodical marching of our economy, improving naturally with a bunch of headwinds still holding it back from the typical kind of uplift it would have
3: that's a that's a that's a thought that we you know scott that we have to think about i mean when when chris says that i mean it's it gives me the insight to say all right things are not great but we're still – we are moving slowly and methodically out of the system, and we're making making progress, and that raising Please. interest rates is not going to cause a train wreck. as a lot of times you hear on the media that that's going to be the, the downturn of everything and we go back into a deep recession. Uh, that's important. Okay, last word. Here's the word. China.
1: That's China. all I have to
3: say, <laughs> China.
1: What do you think? Well, obviously, it's been in the news a lot. Yes. it's uh, Even before this week – you know, their stock markets just plunged forty percent right. in a short period of time prior to this and the Chinese authorities have been you know seeming a little bit desperate to try to prop up those markets you know keeping restricting companies and individuals from trading you can't even sell a bunch of the individual shares um, and then they've come out this week with a devaluation now I think most investors shouldn't be super concerned about the moves by China that occurred this week. Um, The way we would look at them, um, since China manages its own currency, meaning it's not a free float currency like ours versus the European versus the euro or versus the pound, China controls this from their government and they establish where the exchange rates can occur. And so, for the longest time, it hasn't been working like a market-oriented um, currency. And now they're trying, to, they're trying to move towards that. Now, they're doing it at a convenient time when they can move towards a lower con- currency that makes them more competitive. But by no means, if we look at a chart on the yuan, does it look like it's um, super cheap. As a matter of fact, prior to this, the evaluation that they did, it had been rising. So... They're more than not getting this more in line with markets. Um, Now, it doesn't mean we shouldn't be concerned about growth in China because they're a big story about what's happening in commodities. You know, with the commodities coming down in oil and commodities and foodstuffs and metals and everything, um, that's clearly China slowing. What had been they had been the main driver and main um, demand in those sectors for a long time that is not going to return for a while so we got to live with the weaker china slower growth slower global growth and that will still have a bit of a headwind it doesn't derail the us but it also doesn't give us an extra wind any extra wind in our sails
3: hmm. do you think let's 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 thought you've given us some insight economy commodities the fed china there's so much noise that we're listening to. And I know for our listeners, I want them to kind of listen to a guy that deals with this every day. And uh, do you sense – I mean, I know we don't predict the future. I know that there's no way you can come at a point in time and say this is – but there's so much noise. I mean, it's kind of like it makes headlines. It, it creates listeners but I, I think our program is one that we try to stay with facts and figures and, and reality. I know that we're not saying that everything's perfect in the market and everything's great and bullish. And that's not what we said. And that's not what you have said. But what's your take? You said optimistic for the economy the second half of the year. You feel like China is not – I mean, it is a big deal, but it's not one of those things that we have to say, oh, my goodness, China is going to blow us out of the water or whatever. What's your take, Chris, from the next six to 18 months?
1: The economy continues to improve. Interest rates rise a little bit uh, from here uh, because the economy is improving. Uh, that, and that's the main driver. Um, interest rates don't rise enough that it destabilizes the system. Uh, the Fed does raise interest rates over the next six uh, months. Um, if I were to, if I were to, be have a bias on one way or the other, that it would be later. If if they were going to um, delay, they would go a little bit later as opposed to coming sooner in that. Um, you know, Stocks are a tricky one. I never really try to forecast them over the you know, a six-month period, but there's some good fundamentals that are developing for companies. Um, companies continue to become more efficient and effective, so over the long term, I think their earnings will grow. grow. Valuations are a titch high on the average, so... I wouldn't be investing. Um, I wouldn't be overweighting your equity exposure at this point. But neither are they high enough that I would pull that back.
3: Mm. Great point. Great point. Politically, with a president having his last year in office, uh, kind of a lame duck president. Thoughts?
1: Um. You know, I, I don't. I, I guess I wouldn't have any thoughts in terms of the policies he's going to try to get pushed forth. Um, I, you know, and how they're going to affect the economy. Um, you know, I think some of the the elements that we see right now in terms of politicking are going to be mostly grandstanding where, you know, the candidates that are coming up either for elections and uh, for president uh, that they're starting to run for or for uh, federal offices are really going to try to use this period to show their um, – you know, show their independence, probably from the president, and I think that's one of the reasons why the Rand deal doesn't look like you know it's getting a lot of pushback because they don't have to be uh, kowtowing so much with President's line, and they can establish a little bit of independence, and there's mm-hmm. an opportunity for them to do that. But I don't see much in terms of its impact on the economy right now.
3: You know, a lot of people try to play that. They say last year the presidency, it's not good for the economy. and that, that's, I've heard that a lot, but I don't see that either. I think that's something we just kind of make, again, makes another media play, and I appreciate your candid- candidness on that too. You're always a great guy to be on the program, sir, and I thank you for your time. I know your time is extremely valuable, but uh, I appreciate it, and you always do a great job for us. And if you just tuned in, it's um, Chris Sebald, President and Chief Investment Officer of Advanced Capital Management. Thank you, sir, and you have a great weekend.
1: It's a pleasure being with you. Have a great day, and have a great day in Memphis.
3: Thank you, sir. If you just tuned in, of course, I'm Jim Shoemaker, along with Scott Jordan. When we come back, we're going to, first of all, listen to – we're going to let Rebecca Brazier tell us about the Mid-South History Moment. But we're going to talk about some selection process that you need to do if you're looking for a financial planner. Chris is going to – I mean, Scott's going to help me go through that process, and we've got several thoughts about it. that, and it's a very important subject because a lot of people are saying, how do you select a good – financial planner stay with us we'll be right back
0: helping you make the most of your money this is talk money with jim shoemaker securities and investment advisory services are offered through Security and financial services incorporated member finra sipc shoemaker financial is independently owned and operated advantage capital management and Security and financial services incorporated are affiliates talk money will return right after this
5: One important reason that Memphis is the large, prosperous city that it is, is because its main urban rival to the north failed. It was called Randolph, just 40 miles upriver from Memphis, and no one in the early 1800s was sure whether Memphis or Randolph would become the dominant city in the region. The first people who moved to Memphis didn't experience attacks from Native Americans, but the city of Memphis was still far removed from the rest of the civilized United States in those days. In fact, Memphis grew so slowly that its original founders didn't make a profit from the money they invested in the city. Although Union troops destroyed Randolph during the Civil War, it was the early expansion of American railroads that really made the difference. Memphis got the railroad line instead of Randolph and subsequently emerged as the larger and more commerce-friendly place for regional farmers to come sell their crops and for those crops to be transported out of Memphis by boat. This has been another Mid-South History Moment brought to you by Shoemaker Financial.
0: You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Just search for Shoemaker Financial. And now, once again, here's your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker.
3: Well, welcome back. We've been uh, going through the process of the economy and the thought process of everything that you have to make decisions about, and we had a great guest. But my guest is Scott Jordan, and he is with us today. He is really going to help me make some decisions. And people so many times, Scott, ask questions, well, how do I choose a financial advisor? We haven't done this discussion in a long time. So thank you, sir, for joining me today. Pleasure to be here. Uh, one of the questions, if you, if you need help, and this is, what do you ask? Well, we're going to go through, I think, about six or seven questions. We've got about 10 minutes to go into a program. But the first question that I like to ask, uh, you know, if I were asking, I don't mind being asked as a financial planner. Both of us are uh, CFP, certified financial planners. So what we're asking is, how will you make money? From the relationship, so that's the first question. That's a tough question for some people, and they have to answer it. So, how would you go through that?
2: That's very tough. I think the important consideration there, when you're considering advisors, how they're compensated. You know, do they earn fees, or is it commissions? Are they are they working their best? Have bias, interest? right? Yeah, right.
3: I mean, they're working as a fiduciary. Can can they spend the energy focused on the client and not being told what they've got to if they've got to sell something, quote unquote, that they have to sell something? Right. Right, it's a very so, tough question from that standpoint. What's the second question you'd ask? You know, I
2: would ask about their investment philosophy. How, how do they manage risk? How are they going to make the decisions around how they invest your money? It's very think, important.
3: Yeah, and what would that be? If you thought about that, um, how would you how would you find out a person's investment philosophy? I mean, Scott, what would you what questions would you ask?
2: Well, I think it's important that advisor have a process there, uh, some some way. You know, the investment program should be tailored around the client, around their tolerance for risk. So the use of things like risk tolerance questionnaires, to
3: something to d- identify with the clients. It's right. all about the client. It's All about the client. So you know, and some guys are we we call passive investors, and some guys are aggressive, and you know, and, and active investors. A lot of times, a person will say, "Well, I'm a passive, and that means like you know, I never do anything." But reality is, are you looking? I mean, we think about it from a standpoint of we're not trying to buy stocks and bonds. Most of the time, the client has not got a large enough portfolio to buy stocks and bonds. So we use no load, no transaction fee type of mutual funds. And we just try to say, okay, if we're going to do this, we're going to do asset allocation. We're going to do diversification. And then we're going to do that proverbial thing that has to be done at least once a year. And, Scott, what's that?
2: That's the rebalance.
3: And that's something so many people forget, isn't it?
2: It is. It, it is. It's often it, overlooked.
3: It never is overlooked. And that's the point. Here's one of the thoughts that I ask a lot of times when, when I'm looking at for someone, if I'm saying, okay, do they understand this? The difference between somebody who's a fiduciary and somebody who is dealing from a suitable standpoint. Can you help me describe what that su- that, that fiduciary is? Well,
2: The basic difference is a fiduciary must act. They're mandated to act in a client's best interest at all times. So the client's interest is always put ahead of the interest of the advisor or the company.
3: With no exceptions? No
2: exceptions. Suitability is a is a strict standard, but it's a little different. That's where you you must recommend a product that is suitable for a client, but it may not necessarily be in their best interest.
3: But but suitable means it passes a test. It and does. That suitability pass a test. test is flexible, it but it but it has to pass that test of suitability. Sometimes it's commission based, uh, and it, it's a little lesser standard than a fiduciary standard. So just simply asking the question. Are um are you fiduciary oriented? Are you a fiduciary, or are you? Do you manage things on a suitable standpoint? That's a very Great good question. question to ask. Uh, what type portfolio would you recommend for me based on my risk tolerance? A question that is so important because you want to find out what that advisor is talking about. What is the best for me? Do you? What do you think of that, Scott? Well, I think it's it's. A portfolio
2: that's designed around the client and what they're trying to accomplish, and you look at kind of a historical performance record of a portfolio similar to that and see if it's likely to meet the goals of the client.
3: You know, what you're talking about there is that we have so much that we need to do that. When I come back... I want to. I want to talk about. So many times you'll say, "Well, I'm a I'm a a divorcee or I'm a widow, and I, I don't need to buy it this way." And that's what you're looking for. How does that fit in? We'll talk more about that when we come back. You're listening to Jim Shoemaker and Scott Jordan. We are talking about questions that you would like to ask when you're selecting an advisor. So you might want to write them down. So stay tuned. We'll be back right after this.
0: This is Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Investments in commodities and natural resources involve heightened risk due to leveraging and speculative investment practices, lack of periodic valuation requirements, and potentially complex tax structures. Helping you make the most of your money, Talk Money will return right after this.
4: Have you thought about pursuing a career in financial services but have no experience in the industry and need training? If you are goal-oriented, highly motivated, and enjoy working with people, you have the skill set Shoemaker Financial is looking for. Shoemaker Financial is continuing to grow their team of financial advisors in the Mid-South, and they're ready with the training and tools you need to get started. With over 35 years of providing professional advice, quality products, and excellent service in the Mid-South, you too can now be a part of their growing firm. If you're interested in learning more about this opportunity, contact Haley Kemp at 9017575757 or email at HkeMP at shoemakerfinancial.com.
0: Helping you make the most of your money. this is talk money with Jim Shoemaker and now once again here's your host for talk money Jim Shoemaker. Well, if you just tuned
3: in, I'm Jim Shoemaker, of course, along with Scott Jordan. We are talking about questions that you would ask if you were selecting an advisor, someone that you need to trust, somebody that you're going to spend, we hope, usually a pretty good long relationship with. And so it's just questions, everything from how do you get paid to are you a fiduciary or your suitability? What How do you think? Um, what's your investment philosophy. But the question before the break was, what type of portfolio do you recommend for a person based on my risk tolerance? Scott, that would be the question that I would ask you. How would you answer that? Well, I would say first you
2: start by looking at the historical returns of the portfolio. Um, Ask about the historical returns. How has this portfolio performed since 2008? How did the portfolio perform during 2008? You know, that was one of the biggest Downturns so, in the market certainly in my lifetime. Absolutely,
3: mine too. And uh, that's uh, we're about the same age, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Sure. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's good. That's uh, never mind. We'll move right along. Um, I think that you know, kind of, it's like looking for the best and the worst of a portfolio. Just ask the right. questions. What's, what's it like if I bought the portfolio? How did it do in two thousand eight? Nothing wrong with asking that question. Nothing wrong with that. What's another question you'd ask? I would ask where my money's kept. You know, that's a question that a lot of people would never ever think about it. But here's the rule on that. Never write the check directly to the investment person, the advisor. If he's an advisor and he's independent, it might write to a to his firm, but it needs to be and we need to check that out because Bernie Madoff was a perfect example of somebody Absolutely. who took a lot of people because he had a sidebar out here called the investment group. He had the legitimate thing and the second thing. You just got to make sure, double, double check which, where's Absolutely. the money going. The advisor should really never touch the money. They should
2: never touch it. It shouldn't be commingled with the fund, funds of the firm. It's Not
3: just, at all. And that's so important. Um I always ask the question, I would think this is important. I happen to have a good team. you're on my team uh we have a we have a great team, uh, and so the question is, do you have a team or are you by yourself? Is there somebody there to take care of you if you're not there
2: I think that's a that's an excellent question. Uh, people come to the business with all levels of experience, and I think it's just important to know that your financial advisor is backed by a team of experts that can handle all the various aspects of your financial picture there's so you know I've,
3: I've got a meeting that's coming up here right after the program and it's uh someone is looking for someone that uh, has experience and i know i'm coming in because i do have a you know 40 years of experience and i know that's one thing but also know that if i was looking for me i would say but well, wait a second guy you're nice i'm glad you got a lot of experience but you're also old You know? And so I'm glad that I have you and Jeremy and Francis who really tie us all together with you guys being you're in your forties, Jeremy's in his thirties. We won't talk about Miss Francis because she's she's listening to the program. We'd all be in trouble if we did. But the reality is that's a team and somebody said, Well, I'm getting a lot of experience with Jim Shoemaker, but the reality is I may not be here in five years and you need to have that sustainability.
2: Yes, you need that need to find out of what what is the succession plan. Is there a plan in place?
3: And then, of course, I always think the question is important is, what's your typical client? You know, if you walk in and the person says, well, I am a, I'm this type of person, uh, reality is, is that the kind of person that you really want? I mean, maybe they've never worked with this type of person. And maybe if it's a, if it's a widow, have they ever worked with a widow before?
2: Right, right. And, and also the, the size of the portfolios of the clients they're managing. You don't really want to be the... Smallest portfolio on the advisor's books.
3: <laughs> you really don't. Or, and sometimes you don't want to be the largest. That's right. Yeah, that's Absolutely. the biggest problem. Well, we've been giving you some questions. And, of course, you can always listen to this program again. Just find us on iTunes, search for Shoemaker Financial. But the questions have been, how do you select an advisor? And that is always something that people just need that guidance through that if you got any questions, don't hesitate to give us a call. My guest has been Scott Jordan. We've walked through the process of that. It's just important that I think you get a referral. Ask around. Find somebody that's worked with that individual. That's always a great way of dealing with a person, finding a good person. A lot of times it's just simple word of mouth. Absolutely. Well, again, I have enjoyed today's program. Scott, thanks for being with me today. The producer and board operator is Art Frederick. And guest and content coordination, Frances Fortner. She always does a great job for us. Production assistant, Eleanor Moskovich. And um, my Mid-South History Moments, read by Rebecca Brazier and uh, written by Drew Johnson. It is a pleasure to be with you today. Next week, we've got a program that you do not want to miss. It's talking about Kurt Cernowski. And of course, we're dealing with Social Security, a very popular subject he is a great great guest you don't want to miss next week's program so just be with us because we're here every friday and we're always trying our best to help you make the most of your money
0: jim shoemaker is a registered representative and investment advisor representative of security and financial services incorporated securities dealer member finra sipc a registered investment advisor shoemaker financial is independently owned and operated at the top of every hour and the most local talk in the Mid-South. This is AM 990 KWAM Memphis.